the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's not all. He also asked the Lord to renew in him a steadfast spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means that David wants God to do a work in him so that he'll be steadfast and firm, not easily swayed when temptations come and and they hit him. In other words, David is praying that his obedience to the Lord will be consistent. He wants to be a firm, consistent man, not fluctuating in his spiritual walk with the Lord. C.H. Spurgeon said, A man's life is always more forcible than his speech. When men take stock of him, they reckon his deeds as dollars and his words as pennies. If his life and doctrine disagree, the mass of onlookers accept his practice and reject his preaching. King David was not always as consistent as he wanted to be. In fact, he failed miserably with Bathsheba and then compounded the failure in arranging the death of her husband in an attempt to hide his sin. Not only did God see right through David's attempted cover-up, I suspect many people had figured out what must have happened, but only one had the courage to speak up. When Nathan the prophet helped David see that he had done something that he himself despised, David confessed his sin and repented immediately, offering no excuses, and humbly asked God to forgive him and wash him clean of the disobedience that had robbed him of his joy. Not only that, he asked God for a change of heart so he would not disobey in the future. And that's how we came to have Psalm 51, a beautiful and emotional song of confession and repentance. Welcome to Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is guiding us in a series of lessons about genuine repentance. He's the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Today, Pastor Steve will be wrapping up a three-part message that is his second message in this series. I'll tell you at the end of the broadcast how to ask for a free CD with the entire message. As Christians, we have a wonderful promise in 1 John 1.9. John wrote, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what happened with David, and it's the same with you and me. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's lesson. Now sometimes Christians, true Christians, struggle with accepting God's forgiveness. I know because I've done this myself. Even after we've repented and we've confessed our sin to God, we feel so bad about it. Now, if that's true of you, uh, that you struggle and you've confessed, you've repented, but it still bothers you, you feel like you have to keep saying it again and again, Lord, I'm so sorry. If that's true of you, there's only one thing that you need to do. You need to, by faith, take hold of what God's word says and believe it. Believe that he really is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. And you don't need to keep coming back to him as if he didn't hear you the first time, as if you can do penance by continuing to tell him how sorry you are. In other words, you need to accept what God says about your sin being forgiven and stop doubting him. Believe what he says. Lord, thank you. It is forgiven. It is cleansed. You said that. 
that settles it. And be careful about believing the psychobabble that we hear so often these days that you just have to forgive yourself. Forget, listen, forgiving yourself is an unbiblical concept. Nowhere does scripture say that we need to forgive ourselves. We sinned against God. So it is God's forgiveness that we need. And God does that. He gives his forgiveness and his cleansing because his son was punished in our place and therefore he will always forgive and cleanse those who repent of their sin. You have God's word for it. And to you who have repented, God says that you are so clean, you are purer than snow. That's what David said. He said, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Isaiah the prophet said essentially the same thing when he declared in Isaiah 118, come now, he said, let us reason together. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. Listen, no matter what you have done, no matter how gross or despicable your sin is, there is forgiveness with God based on Christ's death. Christ receives all who repent of their sin for salvation. And to those Christians who repent of their sin, like David, he returns joy and he returns gladness to your soul. Notice verses 8 and 9, that's what he says. David says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you've broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Now, tell for to understand that David's sin with Bathsheba had taken place about a year before it was exposed by Nathan the prophet. So for a, for a whole year, this past year, David has been living under this heavy burden of, of guilt that has certainly affected him emotionally because here he asked God to return joy and gladness to him, meaning for the last year as he's been trying to cover up this sin, there's been no joy in his heart. Been, been no gladness there. Apparently, though, it also affected him physically, as sin often does, because he also asked the Lord to heal his broken bones, let his broken bones rejoice. Now, I don't think this necessarily means that David had suffered any broken bones in a, in a literal sense, but rather that his body just ached and felt broken under the heavy strain of sin that was weighing on him. But he wants all that to end right now, He doesn't want to be miserable anymore and and understand that believers who continue in their sin and don't repent, they are miserable. But he doesn't want that. He doesn't want that. He doesn't want to cover it up anymore. It's broken him emotionally. It's broken him physically. So once again, he asked God in verse 9 to hide his face from his sins and to blot out all of his iniquities. Now, folks, this entire first section of Psalm 51, it's devoted to telling us primarily one thing, that repentance is marked by an honest admission of our guilt. When a believer truly repents, there is always just a complete transparency before God over our guilt. No excuses, no minimizing of sin, no toning down of what we've done, just an open and honest confession of our sin in pursuit of of God's forgiveness. That's what David has been teaching us in these first nine verses. But there is a second mark of repentance that David proceeds to tell us about. And we only have time today just to introduce this. But based on his own experience in repenting, David tells us that repentance, note this, repentance 
always involves a desire to forsake our sin and to walk in holiness. Notice verse 10. Continues praying as he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Look at that again. Create in me a clean heart and, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now with these, with these words which David gives us, they're, they're very important because what they tell us is that true repentance is not only concerned about being forgiven by God with what we've done in the past. It is concerned about that, but not only concerned about that, but it's also concerned with not falling into the same sin again in the future. See, when David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, he's asking God for a change of heart. And by heart, David doesn't mean the organ within us that pumps blood. He means that inner man, the inner man that controls how we think, how we react. So he's asking God to do a creative work in him of renovating his inner man so that he has a new attitude, a new way of thinking. In other words, David is asking the Lord for what we would call spiritual renewal, revival in his heart, so that his mind will be clean and pure for the decisions in life that he will be making. That's not all. He also asked the Lord to renew in him, notice, a steadfast spirit. What does that mean? Well, it means that David wants God to do a work in him so that he'll be steadfast and firm, not easily swayed when temptations come and and they hit him. In other words, David is praying that his obedience to the Lord will be consistent. He wants to be a firm, consistent man not fluctuating in his spiritual walk with the Lord. Now, do you see what David is telling us then about repentance, not only his repentance, but all true repentance. He's telling us that when one is truly repentant for their sin, they are concerned about not falling back into that same sin again. So what David expresses here, that's really a key issue in repentance It's this, repentance is always concerned about holiness of life, so that we don't fall back into the very sin that we're now repenting of. What this means is that repentance is not simply telling God words, oh, I'm sorry, I confess to you, yes, I did wrong, but I have no intention really of changing. Now, we may not say that, but we may think that, yes, I did it again, but I know you'll forgive me, Lord, it's no big deal. See, this isn't flippantly confessing our sin, thinking that, well, it's fine because after all, Christ died for that sin, God will forgive it. No, true repentance involves forsaking sin, at least a desire to forsake sin because we don't want to repeat this sin again. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't ever repeat our sin, but it does mean that in confessing our sin, we are determined by the grace of God not to return to the sin again. We don't ever want to go through this. David didn't want to go through this again. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a verse that's very familiar to, to most Christians. It says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, although this verse is often wrongly applied to the United States, it's actually a statement concerning Israel 
and the Jewish people. It's a promise to the Jewish people living in the land of Israel that if they, as a people, will humble themselves and turn from their wicked ways, which is repentance, then God will forgive their sin. Now, what's so interesting about this promise is that it explicitly states that it requires turning from sin, because without turning away from sin, there's no repentance. No repentance. See, the same thing in Jonah chapter 3. If you recall, God told Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to them, otherwise judgment would come. They needed to repent. Jonah didn't want to do this. He wanted them to get judgment, receive judgment, but eventually he ends up there in Nineveh, and he proclaims that they need to repent, otherwise God will judge them. And they did repent. And apparently it was very real repentance. And God, who knew ahead of time that he would not judge them because he knew that they would repent, says this. Jonah chapter 3, starting in verse 5. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. He issued a proclamation and said, In Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink water. But both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and let men call on God earnestly that each, note this, that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. The Ninevites were an extremely violent people. These are the Assyrians. It goes on to say, who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God, it says, relented. It isn't that God changed his mind there. Language is limited. It it simply means that God knew ahead of time he would do this. Concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. It means he didn't judge them. Now, the important part of, of these verses is to tell us that these people evidenced true repentance by turning from their wicked way. And the proof of that is that we read here their deeds were different, and God saw their deeds were different. That is to say they acted differently. They now behaved in a more righteous way. They had forsaken their sin, and they were living differently. Now, sadly, this is just for right now, next generation doesn't do this in Assyria, but at that point, they did. Now, listen very closely. Here's one way you can tell if you have really repented of your sin. You ask yourself, if given the opportunity to go back in time and do this sin again, would I do it? If you would. If you say, yes, given those same set of circumstances, if I could, I'd do exactly the same thing, then you have not repented. I recall speaking to a lady who a number of years ago had divorced her husband without any biblical grounds for the divorce. But several years later, she told me that she knew that what she had done was wrong and that she was sorry for her actions. So I asked her if she could go back in time. Would she do it again? Would she sin if given the same set of circumstances? Would she sin by divorcing her husband? Or would she obey God by continuing to be married to her husband. 
And she was very honest with me. She said, you know what? I'm not sure. I have to think about that. Well, folks, what that woman expressed was not repentance. If you have to think about that, you haven't repented. It's either yes or no. If she had really repented, then there would be no question in her mind that if she could go back, she would do the right thing. She would have obeyed the Lord, stayed in the marriage. It was not repentance. She just felt bad about what happened. See, a repentant believer is determined to obey God. That's the proof of repentance. You you want to obey God. Like David, you're so ashamed of your sin that you never want to sin like that again. You want your life to be right with God. You, You want to be steadfast and firm in your obedience to God. That's the mark of true repentance. So if you're serious about not falling back into sin, sin that that you have repented of, then the question is, what steps can you take to indicate that God has given you this renewed heart and steadfast spirit? Let me give you three steps to take, three things you can do. If you're serious about repentance, first of all, make sure that your mind is renewed by the constant intake of the Word of God. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How you think determines how you will behave. So let God's word transform your thought life so that you will do the will of God and not your own will. Practically speaking, my advice would be have a verse of scripture memorized so that you can recall it when you are tempted to sin again. Have it memorized. You can do it. Memorize scripture so that when you are tempted, you recall that scripture and that's how your mind is renewed. Secondly, don't make any provision for your sin. Make sure that you avoid those things that you find tempting. Don't flirt with sin. If you know you have a problem with the internet, don't go on the internet. Or have other people be around when you're on the internet. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Listen, use some common sense. If you know that you have a weakness in an area, then don't do anything that would put you in a place of vulnerability. Be smart about this. Don't be stupid about this. And third, take sin seriously so that you deal with it drastically, if need be, whatever the cost is, take whatever measures you have to take to make sure you don't fall back into sin. Jesus addressed this in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. He said this, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, then cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, listen, Jesus wasn't commanding us to pluck out our our right eye. How do we know that? That wouldn't solve a problem with lust. You'd simply be a one-eyed, lustful sinner. That's all. That's not the heart of the matter. 
Nor was he commanding us to cut our our right hands off. That would just make you a a one-handed sinner. This is, this is simply hyperbole in the sense of saying that we, we need to take sin so seriously that we'll go to any measure, even if it's drastic, to deal with it. That's what our Lord was saying. Do whatever you need to do, no matter how drastic it is, to address the real issue of your sin. Don't take sin lightly. This is how David repented. He honestly admitted his guilt to God. He sought the Lord's forgiveness for his past sin. He desired to forsake it, to walk in holiness, never to fall back into that sin again in the future. Folks, this is what repentance looks like. So make sure that this is what your repentance looks like, or else you're not being serious about repenting and forsaking your sin. Now, if Christ is not your Savior, your Lord, then you do need to repent, and you need to believe the gospel, the gospel that you're a lost sinner, totally corrupt in your nature, and there is no hope for you apart from Christ changing your heart, giving you a new heart, and forgiving you of your sin. If you, if you see your need for him, if today you see your need for Christ, then call upon him to save you and to forgive you of your sins because Christ died for sinners like you and he invites you to come to him. And he said, he who comes to me, I will never cast out. Let's pray. Father, we have been exposed to a lot of truth, heavy truth, heavy theological truth, Lord, but such precious truths. We thank you. We thank you for David modeling this. We thank you that you inspired him to write this down, Lord. These are issues that address us so, so very graphically and practically. Lord, help us when we repent to repent like this, to make no excuses, to seek your face, to be ashamed of what we've done, so ashamed that we'll, we'll make provision for not doing this again, Lord. I pray that you'll help every believer here to take seriously sin issues, to do whatever they need to do to forsake their sin. Memorize scripture. Make no provision for the flesh. Do, take drastic measures to deal with sin. Lord, help us to see sin from your perspective and not, not just from, from what troubles us. So I pray, Lord, that you'll take these truths and drive them home to every Christian here. And I pray, Lord, for those who are not Christians yet, I pray that they will see how hopeless their situation is, that that they just can't reform themselves. They can't um, just clean up the outside. They need a change of heart, a new nature. They're corrupt with this disease called sin that has affected and infected every part of their being. I pray that you'll, you'll show them how hopeless and helpless they are apart from Christ and that you will drive them to your Son, who's so merciful as to forgive all who repent and believe in him. So, Lord, we pray that you'll take these truths and transform us by them. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It was good to have you with us today for Verse by Verse. Salvation begins with repentance from unbelief and continues as we repent of one sin after another while the Holy Spirit gradually makes us more and more like Jesus. Before we wrap up today, I'd like to repeat those three steps Pastor Steve gave us 
to help us keep from falling back into sin. First, a regular diet of Scripture will help us withstand temptation and make our repentance stick. Second, avoid the circumstances that lead to sin. We are to flee from sin. The third step Pastor Steve mentioned really brought back some memories. My best friend in high school had a sin that bothered him so much that he really did take Jesus' words in Matthew literally, and he used a knife on himself. Thankfully, he recovered and learned an important lesson. But I have to say I admire his hatred of sin, even though his interpretation of Scripture wasn't quite perfect. Verse by Verse is an outreach ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, and is made possible in large part by the prayers and financial gifts of our listeners. Here's a number to call if you have questions about Lakeside, about salvation, or if you'd like to order a free CD with the message Pastor Steve Kreloff concluded just now. Call 727-441-1714 and ask for message 5203, Genuine Repentance, Part 2. The phone number again is 727-441-1714. Find out more about Verse by Verse at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Besides giving information, we have a vast library of free audio downloads on our message archive page. That's versebyverseradio.org. This is Jerry Peterson. Today, Pastor Steve began to discuss the signs of true repentance, one of them being a change in behavior. We'll explore that more fully on the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.